this is an evolution, not much more so than a revolution. And in our world that we're seeing a massive paradigm shift, one that we only see every 20 years or so, but we're going from this static world to this idea of a dynamic world. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. One of the many impacts of the global pandemic was the acceleration of transformation. From the rapid deployment of work-from-home models to using cloud to solve a myriad of issues facing organizations, companies have reprioritized their cloud initiatives. Many of these companies are adopting a multi-cloud architecture and transitioning away from more traditional infrastructure. I'm Jeff Tun, the host of Status Go. Today, I'm joined by Ray Plosky. Ray is the field CTO at HashiCorp. HashiCorp provides open source tools and commercial products that enable developers, operators, and security professionals to provision, secure, run, connect cloud computing infrastructure. Welcome to the show, Ray. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on Status Go, Jeff. Really appreciate it. We're excited to have you on the, on the program, Ray. So in today's remote and distributed workforce, Ray is joining us live from Bend, Oregon, the home of the last remaining blockbuster storefront. So Ray, what's it like for you to spend your days leading transformation and then visiting Blockbuster. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little surreal, to be honest, right? So every time I take my young daughters to the store, they consider it a history lesson. And it definitely provides a perspective for me as well and a reminder of what disruption can look like. You know, there's no more VHS tapes there, but so there's no more Be Kind Rewind stickers any longer, but they yeah. get the idea of how folks can get disrupted. And we're all seeing that today as well. Yeah, that is a great case in point. I, I tell you, the disruption that is occurring is just tremendous. But let's get back to the future. Many of our listeners may be taking advantage of the cloud today. Some are probably leveraging multiple clouds, but let's level set. Would you describe what you mean by a multi-cloud environment? It's, it's more than just having SaaS applications delivered via multiple clouds, right? Absolutely, Jeff. It's more, much more than that. So much like Blockbuster, there's a lot of disruption going on right now. You still have traditional data centers and you have your investment in your, your IT estate. That's not going to change. You'll adopt change and grow to maybe one uh, cloud provider, or if you're an organization of any given size, multiple cloud providers. And that might be intentionally because of the capabilities of particular uh, infrastructure service provider or SaaS, or by accident via mergers and acquisitions. But at the end of the day, you just need to take a step back, look at a pragmatic approach of all the pieces that you need in order to provide goods and services to your customers and also to fulfill your business's objectives. So when we talk about multi-cloud, it's uh, all the various pieces that are required in order to make you much more successful and your customers more delighted. Well, and, and so when we're talking about this, I think one of the key things that I know you like to talk about, as we discussed prior to the to the show today, is architecture, right? It's There's got to be some design and intent to 
really implementing a multi-cloud architecture properly. So what are some of the advantages of, of designing and implementing this architecture over traditional data center approach? Well, um, again, we are, this is an evolution, not much more so than a revolution. And in our world that we're seeing a massive paradigm shift, one that we only see every 20 years or so, but we're going from this static world to this idea of a dynamic world where instead of just having a traditional data center, we'll have a, we'll keep our investment in our traditional data center and expand it out to many other areas. So a cloud service provider, whether that's AWS or Azure or Google, et cetera. And really the impetus for this is uh, we used to optimize for cost quite a bit with systems of records. So whether that's an ERP system or a CRM, what have you. Nowadays, all of us have these small little pocket computers in our in our hands at all times yeah. that can make a phone call, you know, or it can uh, flag a cab, or you can post something out to the entire world as a megaphone. These systems of engagement. So we're going away from this idea of of uh, reduction of workflow to this idea of much more of a fight for mindshare. What's really interesting about that is that the speed of iteration of how we can deliver to these systems is really vital. And you'll see that in a lot of the DevOps types of uh, methodologies or um, or uh, mantras, I guess is the best way to put that. Yeah. So what you'll see is that if you put some new optimization into your systems in order to have that systems of engagement, about a third of the time you'll be successful. About a third of the time you'll be uh, no effect, and a third of the time it's detrimental. And this is not necessarily from my words, don't take my word for it. These are from folks that do digital experimentation, uh, PhDs mm -hmm. like Dr. Ronnie Kohavi, who helped build the customizations engines for Amazon. Um, but you can think through how this works in many other ways. So if you can get your lead times much, much faster, and you can recover from any changes quickly, all of a sudden, the faster you can get your ideas into a production environment, learn and pivot from them, the more often or not, you'll be able to disrupt your competitors. So, so is the data center dead? Absolutely not. Yeah, there will be mainframes. They'll exist forever. Uh, they have since I was a child and they still have quite a healthy set of uh, revenue streams along with them. The idea is to make sure you have business continuity, but grow into new quicker areas to be able to develop or, or to be able to provide value. So instead of having a mainframe with all the different tools and accoutrements around it, like a giant Sequoia, you'll start with many of your new greenfield applications on these cloud service providers and have a rapid workflow. And eventually you'll come up with two shrubs versus having a, a sapling and a Sequoia, so to speak. Oh yeah. So my, my fallback plan has always been, uh, Hey, you know, if my career doesn't work out, I can go back and code COBOL again because, uh, the mainframes aren't dying, right? They're, they're still out there. No. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get, and you get a pretty dollar for that right now too. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've been watching those hourly rates go up. It's uh it's fun. So Ray, let's flip that a little bit. You talked a little bit about the advantages of this multi-cloud architecture over traditional approaches. What are some of the challenges that you've seen with customers uh, trying to implement this? So if we like to decompose how this actually works, uh, the cloud actually offers quite a few challenges that really didn't work within the data center, right? So at the infrastructure layer, we used to have dedicated servers within a private data center. 
they're all pretty much homogenous and and you knew exactly where they were in the rack etc cetera, etc cetera. nowadays if you're using these systems of engagement that are really spiky where five o'clock uber has got a whole lot of requests two in the morning not so much you need to have capacity on demand so you need to be able to spin up a hundred thousand compute nodes any given time and then retire them afterwards above and beyond being physical and virtual machines in the private data centers now you have a, a whole lot of mixtures whether that's mm -hmm. virtual machines containers serverless so the same concepts and workflows that you used to be able to adopt for your private data centers really won't work as well within the uh, this new dynamic world and that's a real provisioning problem another layer with this is around security right so in the past, we would have a private data center with a very strong perimeter where uh, think of it like a castle in a moat. Anything on the outside was bad. Anything on the inside was pretty much trusted. So we can control the ingress and egress over uh, a moat with things such as a WAF, you know, web application, uh, firewall, firewalls, seams, et cetera, et cetera. But we could make sure that we could keep folks uh, within those walls with the assumption of, uh, of high trust. You don't own that network anymore, especially when you're using cloud service providers. So as a re result, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes from IP based where everything in this particular IP can talk to everything else in that particular IP range to identity based where I need to make an attest who I am to have an identity to request any other resource, whether that happens to be on the inside of my private data center or without you know, on the uh, cloud service providers. So this is pretty disruptive to a lot of security teams, as we see today. And then other areas that we see a lot of challenges are around um, networking, right? So not only is it more challenging to provision and to secure, but also to connect. A lot of folks are taking and decomposing their monolithic applications into these new microservices. And again, with these spiky systems of engagement, you need to scale these up and down very, very quickly which means everybody gets a new IP. You're not going to get a static IP for absolutely everything in, in the cloud providers. So what we see is that you don't control that network and it becomes very difficult to connect this entity to that entity based on their IP addresses. So we're going from this static IP to these dynamic IPs and from host-based connectivity where this particular rack and stack can talk to that to much more service-based where I can say, my customer microservice needs to talk to the customer database. And where were those that are, are pretty ephemeral. So that's another primitive that's really been changed. And then last one that we typically see is around the runtime layer. So then rather deploying than a, um, an artifact to a dedicated purpose-built machine in the dynamic world, we need to take advantage of much more of this distributed compute grid where it might be lumpy. You'll still have these batch jobs you'll need to run or your Java monoliths or your .NET monoliths alongside your Kubernetes clusters and uh, microservices. And so what you really need to think about is how one can take advantage of scheduling your jobs as efficiently as possible. And those are the challenges that we typically see or, or, or address with enterprises on a regular occasion. So if I'm a company and I've, I've got those challenges, I know you like to speak in terms of two aspects of the transition that must occur for these types of things to be successful. Can, so can you describe those aspects for our listeners? And then I'd like to double click into some of those challenges. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah. So technology is actually relatively this more straightforward portion of this. 
um, it moves us to a more common platform for both our existing workflows as well as any of the given cloud service providers. Each of these is API driven, so it's a way to do the same work consistently between all of them. But at the same time, you know, it's really difficult for folks to reorganize how they do the work and how teams interact together. That's what we really call the process transition. So in the past, instead of going from a static to a dynamic data center, we also need to go from our existing ways of how we do work to a much more API-driven self-service way. So the world of ITIL is still uh, alive and well and will continue to be alive and well, but we're going to want to start to embrace more of these DevOps, self-service, empowering these developers that are working for the business lines um, to have a bit more independence so that they can make these rapid iterations. And I know everybody talks about digital transformation and how uh, it's an overused term, but from the lens of HashiCorp, really you can break it down into three major areas, right? So one of the biggest drivers is um, the fact that we're moving applications and IT from the back office enablers to this front office driver of business value and new lines of revenue. Uh, second area is this self-service process. So ITSM practices will still exist, but we need to move the uh, area where we can empower groups to have self-service and agility. And the last is that, you know, these systems of engagement, traditional data centers will be there still, but cloud is a pretty much inevitable considering that you need to be able to burst up and burst down relatively quickly. So as you're, as you're looking at those, one of the challenges has got to be the people, because isn't it a completely different way of thinking about traditional problems, so to speak, uh, to change that mindset? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think you're going to get a, a bunch of whiz kids that are Java gurus, networking wizards, security experts, um, and be able to staff up with these unicorns, I'm sorry to say you're going to be disappointed. Even if you can find one or two, I don't think you can afford to scale up an entire organization with those types of folks. What you really got to think about is what an organization is. I mean, it's a bunch of people and we all work together uh, and form a culture by our interactions and we measure ourselves by KPIs. What we typically do in an organization is create workflows or processes that support these folks and make sure that they're successful. And eventually we'll add tools that are opinionated towards that workflow or process in order to, uh, to achieve those given goals. And if you think about it in, um, in the world of IT, there's four major buckets when it comes to industrializing software. It's the application developer, the operations team, the networking team, and the security team. Developers are required to carry the page or create two-person teams or two pizza teams nowadays, right? So we're looking at folks who need to have a bit more autonomy so that once they've pushed their code to production, they can actually make sure that it's successful, it meets what the business needs, and that they can react quickly if they make a mistake. Ops teams need to take a step back from being a gatekeeper and flipping tickets from uh, an ITIL queue or a ServiceNow type of queue to creating a much more enablement platform, uh, a site reliability engineering approach or an SRE as you hear the term coined by Google and others. And then networking teams used to never talk to developers. With the fact that new services spin up and spin down all the time, it's required that they become much, much more aware of this service-based networking and much more application aware. Can the marketing service talk to the accounts receivable service? 
Probably not. But can the shopping cart service talk to the product service? Probably. So those types of conversations and interactions really need to start to be developed a lot differently than what we've seen in the traditional cultures of IT shops for the past 20 years. And then lastly, the security folks, um, they're moving from this uh, moat and castle with a really strong perimeter to this adopting the zero trust type of network where all these controls need to be pushed further and further into the edge, you know, the applications and the data itself. And this shift also requires a much more um, tight interaction with the other given groups I just mentioned. So we're looking for moving from, you know, ticket-based systems to this self-service where we can have the 80-20 rule of folks being very, very successful, where you can reduce a whole lot of the toil and have the conversations about the much more interesting bits. Are there technologies that help companies um, shift this uh, to this process, shift their processes? Are, are there tools that they're using that you see out in the marketplace or, or see in your customers that help them with that mind shift? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about the four areas of the primitives a little bit ago with um, the provisioning problem, the security problem, the networking problem, and the runtime problem. And each one of the major cloud service providers all have their own solution for this with various sets of models and workflows. HashiCorp does as well. Uh, we the tooling that we typically provide or, or obviously would like to be able to talk to include things such as our Terraform system, which... Amazon has cloud formations, um, Azure has ARMs, et cetera. Uh, but the idea is to try to identify and create a clear workflow that allows you not to be disrupted based upon any given vendor that you're, you're looking to be able to work with. As you're looking at transforming an organization, that can be daunting. In fact, one of the major reasons that we launched our podcast, Status Go, is to talk to those IT leaders who are feeling like they're behind because they're not transformed yet. And it can be daunting to even start. So how do companies begin to decompose that challenge and, and start? Great question, Jeff. You're going to hear a lot of folks saying, we're going to adopt cloud and DevOps, right? This was famously said by the head of Capital One on AWS's um, keynote stage a couple of years ago. 18 months later, they pretty much just had a very much more expensive private data center. So it's a challenge. And not only do you need to be able to um, pick up you know, your people and retrain them, you need to make sure that you can start to focus on more self-service and automation you know, throughout your software supply chain. You also need to make sure that you have the right tools and, and make sure you have the skill set set in place. But above and beyond that, you know, it's imperative that you do not break the business. And business continuity is something that each CIO is held accountable to. So oftentimes what we see is many groups start by taking a high value or um, aggressive line of business type of initiative and build DevOps sapling, I guess is the best way to put it, around it, where you can start to disconnect it from the main ITIL organization, your existing systems, and give them an opportunity to create a new set of systems and processes. So what you can you can see are, are folks such as uh, Marcus, which is a Goldman Sachs company. They were being disrupted by other fintechs. And what they did was they allowed uh, the group to be able to define their own delivery processes and identify who their skill sets were develop their own best processes around this 
they standardize on many of the HashiCorp tools, but many others as well, and take those lessons learned and bring them back to the rest of the organization, which then 14 other lines of business picked up the, the best practices and this new model, and they're slowly transforming their entire organization. So Gartner does a great job of describing it, of a bimodal IT, where one mode is around ITIL, an IT organization, and you know, that's never going to be transformed overnight. You know, this is where business continuity and where most of the major revenues come in. Well, slowly starting to adopt and organically building out a DevOps organization, which has different practices, uh, has different interactions and culture. Uh, and you take a co coalition of the willing, those folks that are want to learn and start to move them into uh, this new area. You find a business group that actually has some sort of real value, not field of dreams where you will, if you build it, they will come much more so around the idea of with this new system, we are able to uh, attach actual value chain and dollars to the actual work and effort and investment. And obviously executive sponsorship is key. While there are many great shiny bells and whistles that developers have always been guilty of chasing, um, if you don't have a mandate from above to be able to change your organization, Many middle management will be very comfortable with the processes that they've been in, that have been in place and that they've built for years. So mm -hmm. you need to have that kind of leadership to be able to have to uh, to do that. And above and beyond that, you need to acknowledge that this is not go it impacts everything, and it's not an overnight shift. And you'll need to take some patience and, and think through this. VMs were created oh 20 odd years ago. Uh, virtual machines yeah. are still only. Uh, 70% of the market's penetrated with VMs. There's still a lot of bare metal out there, just as an example of the fact that you just need to uh, have a little grace with yourself. As you've been talking, you've mentioned a, a couple of companies that you've seen that have been successful in this. Are there a couple of more case studies or companies that you can share with our audience that have moved down this path and have successfully, quote unquote, made it to the other side? Yeah, if you address the migrations, there's a whole bunch of different use cases. And absolutely, um, I could go on and on about the various different organizations. But I would actually like to point you at HashiCorp, uh, the resources page. I think the latest one I just saw out there was uh, Mercedes-Benz and how they're using it for all their services to speak back and forth with, um, with their data centers from truly the edge, from your automobile. Yeah. But what we really see is folks pick up and create um, a series of different milestones, right? They need to be able to establish their cloud essentials. So things such as putting all their code base into infrastructure as code. So you can spin up and spike up to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands and shrink them back down at night. Or the fact that secrets in your security is no longer a high trust area. You need to manage those a whole lot more. And then the last area is with this service-based networking versus the um, uh, IP-based, you'll need to start to become much, much more proficient with things such as service registry and discovery. You'll see a whole bunch of these different types of uh, sessions from customers, everybody from Petco to the unicorns of the world up on um, HashiCorp.com. Well, I think we'll, we'll definitely include that link in our show notes so people can visit that. So let's look at the other side of the coin. What are some of the pitfalls that you've seen that companies have run into that our listeners should be aware of? Good question. So uh, oftentimes we see folks try to go too fast or think that they'll just be able to lift and shift their existing infrastructure 
onto a cloud-based system. And what happens if you don't start to change your processes and procedures is that cloud implementation looks almost identical to what you already had in your private data center. And you don't realize these gains of the rapid iteration and being able to pivot to disrupt. So if you have an ITIL system and that's what you stand by and you move it into the cloud and you still have challenges with um, with uh, opening tickets and having someone manually do these give, uh, update screens and configurations, you still won't hit these rapid iterations and be able to deploy over and over based off of uh, the business needs. Uh, we see that as a major challenge. Another area that we have seen is around security. Folks who believe that, well, you can keep your WAF, your safe, your uh, seams, all of your network perimeter up, to think that there would be no bad actors within those perimeters, if you're an organization of any given size, is a bit naive. Mm -hmm. This is where we've seen things like the Capital One S3 exfiltration of data uh, in the past, or folks that drove up to Target and war drive the HVAC systems until they could get onto yeah. the HVAC to hop to the, um, the store, then to hop into the corporate data centers. And those types of challenges cost millions and millions of dollars and brand damage based off the fact that everything is relatively connected nowadays and a hop, skip, and jump away. So there are so many lessons learned. We, uh, we, we tend to share quite a few of those on each one of the given areas. It is. It's an interconnected world that's a blessing and a curse because everything's connected and everything's connected. Uh, and you really have to plan and architect as you're designing these systems and you have to stay on top of it, right? Because it changes. It's just not a one and done. Uh, I don't know that it ever was in technology, but you just can't set it and forget it either. Absolutely not. You couldn't be uh, put better, Jeff. Before we get to my final question, I'd love to ask you a question, Ray. What haven't we talked about that uh, we should at least touch on for our audience related to this multi-cloud architecture and the transformation of moving from traditional infrastructure into that multi-cloud architecture? Well, one of the things that you really should think about is that, yes, the, the organizations and the process flows and the technology, but really what we're looking at, if I could leave you with one thing is focus on the workflows. This enables that rapid iteration so that you can provide value to your uh, business lines. So anytime that you see a ticket-based system with manual configurations or, or, or folks that need to take manual steps, that should be a red flag. You should need to get to the point of self-service. This allows uh, folks to have a system of coordination with these various different stakeholders being able to allow as fast as possible the delivery of value while also being able to provide guardrails for things such as security and for costs. And that's really where we get to the ideal nirvana. So I'd love to ask you a final question, Ray. Our audience who is, they're made up of CIOs, senior IT leaders, practitioners. What is, what's one or two things that they should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? The, the things I'd like your listeners to take away would be to, to be gracious with themselves. You know, this transformation of your people and investing in their skill sets and changing all your workflow and how they work together and defining new tools to be able to use doesn't happen overnight or even within a quarter. It takes a substantial amount of, of change and impact. And you're not alone. 
most of the other major enterprises in the world are doing the same. So take a look at the DevOps Enterprise Summit YouTube channel. You'll see practitioners from the entire spectrum, from Silicon Valley unicorns to old traditional low-tech banks that um, talk about their transformation in this journey and what's worked well for them in order to adopt this more self-service rapid delivery of value for their for their customers and for their lines of business that's great advice ray and i really appreciate it it's actionable for our listeners to go out and take advantage of both of those things and i know based on some of uh, the work of yours that i've seen we could take a deeper dive into many many aspects of this and and perhaps on a future episode if you're uh, interested and willing, would love to have you back and maybe focus on one or two things from our conversation today and just give our listeners a, a deeper look into that. But I would really love to thank you for your time today and your willingness to sit down and, and talk about multi-cloud architecture and help our listeners understand some of the complexities of it. So thank you. Jeff, it was super fun. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Appreciate it. Oh, That'd be great. Would love to have you back. For our listeners, if if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and we'll be sure and add the links for a couple of the documents that Ray mentioned today. This is Jeff Tun for Ray Plosky. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.